As you hear the scriptures read this morning, out of that obscure kind of prophet, one of the minor prophets, Malachi, and as you hear the song of Zechariah read, as Linda reads them, see if you can find yourself in the midst of those. What is your call in this time? What is God asking of you? Listen as she reads. See, I am sending my messenger to prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. <laughs> the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, indeed, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the descendants of Levi and refine them like gold and silver until they present offerings to the Lord in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. As you are able, please stand for the reading of the gospel. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has looked favorably on his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a mighty Savior for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke through the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we would be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Thus he has shown the mercy promised to our ancestors and has remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our ancestor Abraham to grant us that we, being rescued from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the forgiveness of their sins. By the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. This is God's word. Thanks, Thanks for being here. Maybe seated. It's always amazing to me how quickly Christmas begins. As soon as Halloween is over, it's as though the pumpkins disappear and the red and the green come flying out. Those Christmas commercials began to just bombard us, particularly this year, it seems, right on the end of an election, where we were bombarded by a variety of other things. It's an amazing time of year, and we used to think that it began on Black Friday, but in fact it doesn't. It really, I, I think for me, it begins when, I can't remember which channel it is, comes out with the movies every day for the 25 days of Christmas. And I keep looking for my favorites, and we were decorating the house yesterday, watching the end of one, and then the Santa Claus came on, and uh, we had never seen the full beginning of it. I mean, how many of us just watch these movies and suddenly pick it up like a, a third of the way through, and then have to go do something else before it ends? So, so it was just that way. And I kept thinking this week, this last week, about Christmas movies, why I asked your favorites. I think we all have that one or two or three that we watch just so that we can get into the Christmas spirit a little bit more. And so I just kept thinking, what if 
on these movies. I, I have a list of mine. The Santa Claus, The Christmas Story, It's a Wonderful Life, Miracle on 34th Street, one of my favorites, Rudolph and the Misfit Toys, somehow I find myself in that one a whole lot more, <laughs> Frosty the Snowman, and Home Alone. <laughs> just a few. Just a few. Now notice, Die Hard did not make the list. Each story... Each one of these stories carries a little bit different kind of message. And somehow, each story comes all the way around and somehow gets to service or love or hope or, or belief or something at the end of the movie. But what if, as I said before, what if suddenly we combine them all? Might it sound something like this? Somehow, Jimmy Stewart would be at his wit's end and meet not Clarence the Angel, but Frosty the Snowman <laughs> on the bridge at Bedford Falls. As together they tried to save the town of the North Pole from Mr. Potter, the mean elf trying to steal Christmas. We meet a young boy there in the midst of this battle who would pull out his classic Red Ryder BB gun and with the help of all of the cast-off toys from Misfit Island, go after all of those disbelievers. And then, in the midst of it, the hero would emerge as Kevin from Home Alone, who would figure out some way to utilize the miniature Rudolph and the small sleighs to set up traps for everybody who was trying to break into Christmas. Huh. And at the end, at the end, as Christmas is saved, they would all go out for Chinese food. <laughs> Carried there by the new Santa Claus because his name was... Scott Calvin at the beginning and suddenly emerges as Santa Claus simply because he had the suit. And they would go out for Chinese food simply because, simply because the neighboring reindeer ate the turkey dinner that they were supposed to share for Christmas. And there they were in the Chinese restaurant where even the cruel judge who held the trial to see if he could prove that the store Santa was really Santa Claus who would finally come around and the small town toy company would be saved as everyone pitched in, eating Chinese food, singing Silent Night with the Chinese waitstaff. <laughs> or as my daughter said, this is so politically incorrect. My wife is over here going, don't say it, don't do it. Silent Night. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Cora just kept, and we, I was done because I'd read, I'd read her kind of my synopsis of the story, and just in her sweet little voice, just said, yes, they would be singing Siren Night. I'm sorry. I'm working on helping her be much more politically correct. But you know what? We don't combine these movies, do we? We don't do it. We don't do it because each of them stands on their own with deep integrity. Each of them has a singular message really to deliver. Each one does. And so my question to all of us is then why? Why do we do this combination thing with the two gospel narratives? Why do we take and cram together every Christmas two stories that were never, ever, ever intended to be combined? Why do we do this? Well, because it makes a great pageant. And I will not take anything away from the pageant coming up. By the way, here's the commercial message. Don't miss the pageant on Saturday night here. We're going to gather at 6. 
The children have worked so hard to create this beautiful pageant. And it's always interesting, depending on who's available at church, who plays which role. So part of the adventure is who's going to play which role coming at the pageant. But don't miss this. We're coming together as a whole church, as a family together, to experience again the full Christmas story. So I don't want to diminish that at all, because I have a feeling they're going to be wise men and shepherds in that story. But look at what we do. We take these two stories, one out of the Gospel of Luke and those beautiful chapters, those first few chapters of the Gospel of Luke. And I'll, I'm going to walk through those in just a second. But, but, and, and then we take this incredible, beautiful story out of the Gospel of Matthew. And suddenly the wise men are meeting the shepherds somehow at the manger when neither Luke nor Matthew ever intended for that to happen. They are writing these stories for completely different purposes. And when we combine them and try and mesh them together, we lose the integrity of both, very much like we were trying to take all these Christmas movies and make them into one. So let's look at the Gospel of Luke. It's such a rich story. If you have a Bible and you want to open it up, open it up to those first three chapters, and particularly those first two. In the Gospel of Luke... What Luke does is he first introduces us to this aging, older, wonderful temple priest who gets the significant honor of being the one to go into one of the inner sanctums of the temple where no one else is allowed. And as I shared with you before in Old Testament times, what they would do is the priest that would chosen would have bells around the bottom of his robe and a rope attached to his ankle just in case. God didn't like him. Wasn't, didn't think he was worthy and would strike him dead as he entered into that holy of holies place. And the rope was there so no one else would have to go in and risk life and death and you could pull him out. Believe me, they thought ahead. We could learn something from that. So here's this aging priest walking in to light the beautiful kind of incense areas to offer this fragrant offering to God just outside of the Holy of Holies. Surprise, he walks in and there, sitting at the right hand, is an angel. How would you react if you walked into the sanctuary and suddenly sitting right up here was an angel and you knew it was an angel because they glow and there's a whiteness and a holiness about them. He knew immediately that it was an angel and the angel immediately speaks to him this voice of God, Gabriel, and says, Zechariah, you have ha found favor with God. And even in your old age, God is going to give you the gift of a child. There was nothing, nothing more terrible in those times than a woman not being able to give birth. Thank God we have moved beyond this. But nothing that they felt was a greater punishment than a woman not able to give birth. Well... Zachariah didn't believe it. He questioned an angel of God. Okay, come on, what's wrong with this picture? And so what does the angel do but say, because you have not believed, you will be mute from now until the day that child is born. And oh, by the way, you will call his name John, for he will point the way to the promised one of God. Can you imagine Elizabeth's reaction? As, as again, as... Zechariah is trying to go home and tell his wife that at 94 years old she's going to become pregnant. 
and that, oh, by the way, he can't speak. So you have, you have the challenge on one side and the celebration on the other. I think the celebration was that I don't have to listen to my husband for nine years. <laughs> but, but believe me, we take it so serious that there is some comic relief here. But might there be deeper meaning even in that story? Because Elizabeth does, in fact, become pregnant. And might the deeper meaning be that this whole point is that the temple is now going to be made mute. And something new is going to emerge that changes the way that God is going to speak. Not just through the temple, but through something else. And so then Luke does this amazing thing. He puts you on hold on that story so that he can now come over and shift to this one. And it's now not a barren older woman who is going to bring a miracle of birth, but a very young girl. And not, by the way, in Jerusalem, or where the real holy people live, but in the north, in Galilee, where all the Gentiles live. And you know about those Gentiles. This is a dramatic shift from the old miracle to something new. And Mary hears this voice of the angel, voice of God, Gabriel. And Gabriel says, you have been chosen by God, O innocent young girl. Completely opposite reaction to what we see from Zechariah. Zechariah challenged and didn't believe. Mary immediately believes and responds to the reception of this gift in a way that we are also called to respond. The old, the new. And then they travel down, not to Jerusalem, but to this little obscure town of Bethlehem, where together they come into the place and there is no room in the inn, which was probably a house that was shared because of this taxation. That's next week's. And they go and they find a spot finally for her to give birth. But before we get there, we have to come back to this story. Because before they make this journey to Bethlehem, suddenly remember the story where Mary goes and visits Elizabeth. And remember this? And by the way, the location is important because Elizabeth lives in one of the beautiful Somerset-like villas up above Jerusalem. Wealthy. She is the spouse of a priest. And they were exceptionally wealthy back then. And Mary, coming out of the simplicity of Galilee, of Nazareth, goes up to the opulence above the town of Jerusalem, and these two meet, and within Elizabeth's womb, the baby leaps in recognition of the mother of Jesus. But then we have to come back to this, to Bethlehem. And we're out, and, and again, I've I, I got to apologize because I was literally at one point back into the library, I think I shared this a couple weeks ago, back into the library by somebody when I started talking about what the shepherds were really like, back into the darkness of the library, and this person said to me, don't you ever destroy my understanding of the shepherds again. <laughs> well, I got to do it again this morning. I'm sorry. So if you want to back me into the library again, I, my, my deepest apologies, but let's, we got to be real. Nobody liked the shepherds. Nobody wanted to spend time with shepherds. The shepherds were the most distrusted, filthy, terrible kind of elements of humanity in that time. They were doing what no one else was willing to do. 
being out there with the sheep on the hillsides at night. You can create whatever you want of that, but that's the reality. Nobody liked the shepherds. Nobody wanted to spend time with shepherds. But what does Luke do? Luke now moves to this narrative out beyond this beautiful, very small, dusty, nothing town of Bethlehem. And suddenly a shepherd is awakened in the middle of the night by an angel, messenger from God, who brings the shepherd the good news. The shepherd? The shepherd. The good news. And what does the angel say? Glory to God in the highest peace to all humanity. Let me say that again. Glory to God in the highest and peace, God's peace, to all of humanity. But Luke doesn't even stop there because then Luke has them go back to the temple. And at the end of that chapter, what happens? This is so beautiful and so rich, but that's where the baby Jesus has come for the ceremonies that need to happen for young Jewish boys. And there are Simeon and Anna both waiting their whole lives for the coming of the Messiah and recognize immediately that this child is that one as they stand outside the temple. But then Luke has to take it even one step farther, goes into the temple, and there's the young boy Jesus, not mute, but teaching. Not mute, but teaching. It's all new. Everything that I just described, we are so used to that we miss the deeper meanings of it. We celebrate this story as though it, it just doesn't, it doesn't mean that much to us. And if we don't understand the significance, we are going to miss the whole of the Christmas narrative. This is a new message. This is a new message that moves us to a different level of power and understanding. It's no longer about the power of the temple and the power of the law. It's now about the power of relationships and the trust of God, even in the midst of the simplicity of the manger. Temple, manger. Villa, no home. We need to see these comparisons. And God calls us to something different. God wants us, by, these, by this story, to move from the law, to move from the opulence, to move from the complexity, to move even from the chaos, and wants to mute that part of it. And in a very simple way, help us recognize that it's not just about the wealthy or the popular. It's not just about what we conceive or perceive as powerful. If we're really to understand God, we need to move to the manger, to the simplicity, and never forget who it was that God chose to reveal the newness of this message first. The shepherds. Friends, it's dangerous in the midst of Christmas. It's dangerous to get so caught up in the gift-giving of making sure that those right things are under the tree that we forget about the deeper meanings. 
It's dangerous to forget that it's not about the power of the money that we spend at the malls. But the real deeper power isn't that at all. The deeper power is how we are with each other. The deeper power is when we come to prayer time in just a minute, that what we do in that time is to support each other and love each other in those relationships. The deeper power is when that kind of love and hope and faith moves beyond the doors and into the greater community. That's where the deeper power comes. That's where the real gift-giving happens. David Mickelson was sitting right back there this morning and I talked about Hurricane Sandy and the work that he and David and others have done there in giving a gift of new hope for those who are struggling deeply. Going to Ethiopia, what a gift for those who are struggling with hope. So my question to you this morning isn't about what do you want for Christmas. My question is, who are the shepherds around you? Who are the shepherds around you right now in need of a different message? Who are the folks who you know who just need a spark of hope? Who are the folks around us right now whether it's in this neighborhood or community or world, who need light in the darkness. And oh, by the way, might there be a reason that the shepherds were contacted in the middle of the night? And if you look at the narrative, it was all about the glory, the shining light of Christ, the shining light of the heavenly realm penetrating the darkness. And the darkness wasn't just night. The darkness was what was in their hearts. So finally, the deeper question is, where do you need hope? Where do you need faith? When do you need someone to come beside you and to offer you this incredible, beautiful gift of Christmas? And are you willing to trust Are you willing to trust another person enough to share some of that so that you can walk this journey together? Power. Power. Which do you choose? Will you pray with me? God, it is an amazing time of year. But help us not forget that you are the source of all. The deeper meanings of this season, the deeper meanings of this Christ Mass, is to remember that there was a shift. Maybe more remember that there was a recognition the old needed to go away and the new needed to emerge. Where do you need the old to go away in our lives and this new light to emerge in each of us? Where do you need us to help rid this community and the world of the old so that the new might emerge? God, as 
Malachi said, help us to be those who point toward the one who is to come. And as Zechariah said, help us not be afraid. For those two words, fear not, are such a significant part of faith. Guide us in this time as we await the coming of this child. (coughs) And remember that for these Gospel writers, the power is in the all. Glory to God in the highest. And may peace come to all. And may we be a significant part of that. All this because of one who has taught us, Jesus Christ.